The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. This morning is uh, spring break and spring forward, and you guys look great knowing that you are operating on one fewer hour of sleep last night, so looking great. I'm excited for this morning. Um, Over the next two weeks, we are going to be looking at, we're going to be walking through a difficult text. Um, Here at Stone Oak, we walk through books of the Bible. We've been walking through 1 Timothy. And uh, we're, we're coming to the text that when I said originally at the beginning of the year that we're going to be working through 1 Timothy, I know some of you went, <laughs> this one's coming. And I, I, I know you, you're devious. And uh, we're here. We're here at a difficult text. And when I say difficult, here's what I mean by that. Um, maybe a difficult to, imp- uh, to interpret. Uh, maybe even a little difficult to apply. But here's the thing, what we're going to see right, right away is that this text is also difficult because it speaks to something that is a bit sensitive and touchy in our culture today. Um, As we go through this, I want to make just a few introductory statements, then we'll read it, we'll we'll pray, and we'll we'll get in. Um, but uh, first of all, I know that each of us come from different backgrounds and different perspectives as we see this text. And so as we walk through this, we're going to be walking through it in both grace and truth. Grace with each other and truth in that we're standing on this. We're standing on this and, and, and leads me to this. Okay, when we, when we say that we believe the word of God is the word of God, when we say we believe in this, we stand on this, I want to I dig into three things that that means, because this is going to lay the foundation for where we're going. Three things. One is we believe that God's word is inerrant. We believe God's word is authoritative, and we believe that God's word is sufficient. Now here's what these, these mean. So inerrant meaning, we believe this is without error, meaning it's, it's true, and it's always true, never with, never with error, inerrant, number one. Number two, when we say authoritative, please hear me, that means that this is our ultimate authority, the authority that goes on top of all the other authorities, uh, it, it, meaning that all other sources of authority comes underneath the word of God. It's authoritative. That means even our own feelings, that means even our own experiences, That means even our own culture comes right underneath, right? Underneath the authority of God's word, authoritative. So it's inerrant, authoritative. Lastly, let me just poke on this one, sufficient. Um, Sufficient means that in this we have all that we need for life, for godliness, and for salvation in Christ. It is sufficient. We have all that we need. It's not lacking. So when you have the word of God, you are not lacking anything you need. For godliness, for life, for walking with Jesus, 
for salvation. In this, we know God's character, his plan, his design. In this, we know the gospel. In this, we know God's heart for our life and for eternity. Sufficient. Um, One more thing with sufficiency. There's one thing I want us to understand as we get to a text like ours today. Um, There are a few things that are not exactly discussed in your Bible. Um, There are things, first of all, this was written thousands of years ago, and there are things, modern issues that we face that we are not going to see or find on the pages of Scripture specifically. Let me take social media, for example. You're not going to find TikTok in here. You're not going to find Instagram. Not even Facebook is going to be found in in your Bible. Yet, when we say that the Bible is sufficient... What we mean and what we believe is that in this, even the things that aren't explicitly stated in this, that in this we have all that we need to be able to walk with our God. All that we, all that we need to differentiate between what is good and what is bad, what is right, what is wrong, what is holy, what is evil. We have all that we need. For life and godliness, even when we venture into territory that wasn't explicitly stated in the pages of Scripture. Um, So that's what we mean when we say we believe that the Word of God is the Word of God, inerrant, authoritative, insufficient. I I want us to start here, and I think we have to start here, because as we approach a difficult topic, you might feel the temptation to chip away at one of those three pillars— It might be subtle, but the temptation is serious. So when we see a text like this, maybe we instantly start to question the inerrancy to say, well, maybe God's word was in error about this. Maybe it was off. Maybe it was wrong. Or maybe to question authority and and to say, well, I see what the Bible says. Man, I feel this way. My culture says this. Or maybe even to question sufficiency and to say, you know what? It's 2023. I see what the Bible says, but come on. It's 2023. It doesn't have enough to say about this modern issue. So, so here's why I start here. Because over the next two weeks, as we walk through a difficult text, we are going to be standing on and standing under this. And, and what that means is that This is inerrant, and so we're not going to accuse it of error. This is authoritative, so we're not going to seek to place another authority on top of it. And this is sufficient, meaning we're not going to look for more. We start here, we stand on this, and because of all of that that I just went through... Our number one question each week as we stand under the word of God needs to be, what does God's word say? That's What does God say in his word? That's our top priority. Mission objective. What does God say in his word? And then as a church, guess what our responsibility is? It's to humble ourselves under that. That's what we're here to do. Um, And so this week, next week, we're going to seek to do that together as we walk through this in truth and grace and love and in unity. Um, And so with that being said, let me give you a lay of the land um, of what is to come. So this week and next week, we are going to be looking at the last part of chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, verses 8 through 15 specifically. 
And in 1 Timothy, what we've seen is that God has a plan for his people, his church. He cares for his church. He cares about the way that his church is protected. He cares about the way his church is led. He cares about the way his church functions. And in our text specifically, we're also going to see that God has a design and a plan for both men and women as a part of his people. Now, um, as you know, and I do not have to tell you this, gender, that's a big word in our culture today. Huge word. Gender issues, gender confusion, gender fluidity, dysphoria, transgender, gender, 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 gender. Even the word gender causes some of you to go ping your ears, just like perk up, because it's everywhere right now. I mean, it is everywhere. Um, I saw this, and I had to put it up here just to show us the territory we're about to step into. Um, This comes from a peer-reviewed journal of psychology, and this is February 3rd of 2023. So that's just like over a month ago. Listen Listen to this, or read this, if you will. There are at least 80 ways to describe gender. That's not to say there are 80 different genders. Good that we acknowledge that. Um, But there are at least, they say, 80 different cultural terms to describe gender constructs. Okay, the reason I put up this quote, and this is recent and modern, the reason I did this is to show that there is an absolutely crazy amount of conversation and confusion going on right now about gender. So when God's word speaks specifically and directly to something like gender. Guess what, church? We are bound for a collision. And that's why your ears were going ping, ping when you knew I was going to preach in this. Um, When God's word speaks authoritatively on gender, oh my goodness, defenses naturally want to come up and come out. Um, But I want to be clear up front about this right at the beginning of this is foundational to all of this. God's word reveals, giving away all the cookies at the beginning, that God has created men and women in his image, and that both men and women have sanctity and dignity as image bearers of God, and God has a design for both men and women that lead to human flourishing as his people. More than that, as we're going to see in our text in 1 Timothy, that God has a plan for both men and women in his church for his glory and for our good. So this week, here's the plan. We're going to deal with the first three verses. Next week, we're going to unpack the second half of this text. um, And we're going to specifically look at teaching and authority in the church. That's next week. This week, we'll hit the first. Um, So that's where we're headed. Um, Make sure there's no other further statements I need to... Okay, one more. One more introductory statement, and then I promise we'll read, pray, get to work. Um, in this next section in 1 Timothy, Timothy is, or Paul is going to address men specifically. He's going to address women specifically. Later, he's going to address elders specifically, then deacons, then older men, younger men, older women, younger women. Here's what I'm saying. Over the next several weeks... Paul Paul is addressing smaller groups within the congregation. Smaller groups. What do we do when this happens? As a preacher, this is a good question to ask. Like, what do we do with this? Like, it's easy when you're a dude 
And the text says, hey, dudes, listen to this. That's an easy one. We listen to it, we apply it, we take it to heart, and we, we do it. Um, but what do we do when you're not the group that is being addressed? What do we do when a text is dealing with elders and you're not an elder? What do we do, um, as we'll see t- today, when you're a dude and the text is speaking to the ladies? What do you do? What do you do, ladies, when the text is speaking to the men? What do we do? Is it time to be like, okay, good, this one's not for me, let me... Check up on my, my Instagram. Is that what we do? No, it's not what we do. Listen, with this, Paul is giving instructions to his church for how we are to function together as one body, as the church. We're all part of the body. We're one, we're one in Christ. And so what happens to our arm affects the whole body. What happens to your toe Affects the whole body. Just stump your toe. You know this to be true. And so here, with these instructions, it's important for us to see, even when they're not specifically speaking to your group within the church, it is for all of us to hear, to understand, so that we can know how God has intended for us to function together as the church. All of this is so important for for us. And so... When, when we see a text that's specifically dealing with our men, ladies, I want you to see how the church is to function as the church. I want you to hear it and then encourage and pray for and support the men as they strive to, li- strive to live this out. Guys, when you, when you see a text that's specifically dealing with the ladies, I want to encourage you to listen. I want to encourage you to learn how the body of Christ functions well together, and I want to encourage you to lift up your sisters, to pray for them as they, and support them as they strive to live out this. Because all of this, one body, we're, we're bringing glory to him. All right, that is enough introduction. You'll have to remember all of that for next week. I don't want to do it all again, okay? But, but for now, let's jump in. Let me read the first per- portion together, and then I'll pray And then we will get to work. All right. I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and pearls or, or in gold or pearls or costly attire but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let's pray together. God, would you be with us in this time? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? And would you speak through your word as we seek to stand on it and stand under it today? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. In our text, Paul says, I have a desire. I have a desire for the people of God, desire for both the men and for the women. We get a little sampling of both this morning. Um, Normally, we would say ladies first, not Paul. He hits the men first. So men, you're up to the plate first in our text. Um, He says this to you men, I desire then that in every place, everywhere, We're going to come back to that. But Paul's desire is that in every place, everywhere, men should pray. Men should be 
men of prayer. I desire in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Couple disclaimers from this. Paul is not saying that he only wants men to pray. Okay, just right off the bat. Look in scripture and we see women of prayer. Love it. It's not what Paul's saying here. This is not a men only be the, do the praying, ladies, uh-uh, not for you. That's not, not at all. He's also not saying that men have to only pray like this. Okay? He's not saying, because again, Scripture talks about in other moments, you see kneeling. You see laying face down on the ground in prayer. You see standing. I, I, let's not, let's, it, it's easy to miss the forest for the trees in a text like this. That's not what he's saying. What Paul is saying is that his desire for the men of the church is to be men of prayer, praying in holiness, hands lifted, not in anger or quarreling or controversy, but men of prayer. Tone in on that everywhere word or every place. Um, this is a powerful reminder of the work of Jesus and the words of Jesus. Um, I, I think about in John 4, when Jesus is talking to the woman in the well, at the well, the Samaritan woman. And when he says, listen, the hour is coming and it is here. He says, when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem where you, you're going to worship the Father, when, there is a time coming when the true worshipers, he says, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Everywhere. Then he gathers his disciples after his work. He's ascending into heaven after his completed work, and he's sending them out in his power and his authority to plant churches, to make disciples, to spread the gospel. And here's the thing. No longer was it centered on specific holy places like temples. No. The word of God says that because of the work of Jesus and through the spirit, he was sending out holy things, holy temples to do the work that the gospel was going to spread and that the Holy Spirit dwells in his people making us the holy places and the holy temples of God everywhere. So that now through Christ, um, the church can gather together everywhere, including places like schools, right? Isn't that cool? I love this. I, I, I love this. It makes church planting possible. I love this. Um, in other words, Jesus is saying, by the power of God, the gospel is about to burst forth. Churches are going to be planted in temples and in homes and in community spaces and in restaurants and in schools. And the time is coming when the people of God are going to gather together in all kinds of spaces because the Spirit of God is going to be in them, dwelling in them, present with them as they worship God in spirit and in truth. So as we think about this church in Ephesus, who Paul was writing to, the church was most likely meeting in homes in the community in Ephesus. So here, um, Paul is referencing that fact that the church is spreading and the people of God, they're gathering everywhere in the community. And Paul's desire, he says, is that in every place, in every place the church gathers together. What's his desire? Men, it's for you to be men of prayer. 
It's often said that the church is not a building, it's the people. I think it's, eh, I get what it's saying. I want to add to that. The church is not a building. The church is the people gathered together in the name of Jesus and under the word of God. That's the church. And Paul says, everywhere that the church is gathering together, wherever that may be, in every place, everywhere, men should be men of prayer. Then that phrase, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling, that's about the heart of the men praying. Not just about their posture, it's about their heart. The primary emphasis here is that men would be men who would come to the Lord in prayer with, who are lifting of holy hands. That means morally, it's describing morally, moral purity. Uh, there's a commentator that says as well that this calls for a devout lifestyle that seeks passionately to please God. That's what's being expressed here. And so the anger and that quarreling, guess what? That's, that is completely opposite and at odds with the call for men to be men of prayer. I know I'm cheating, but later on in chapter 6, Paul's going to show how anger and quarreling were actually the hallmark of the false teachers that were wreaking havoc in this church, tearing it apart. In fact, I, I am going to put it on here. Um, this is later on. We'll get to this later. But if anyone teaches, Paul says later in this letter, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, so these are the false teachers, doesn't agree with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ, is teaching that accords with godliness. Listen, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Paul doesn't waste time. Just right there, goes to it. And then listen to this. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction. Have you experienced that? among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Love that. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So Paul says, listen, I desire that men, godly men in the church, I desire that they not be like that. They not be like these false teachers. I desire that they be men of prayer. I want to bring something out here. I think often it's really tempting when we get to a text that deals with the men and the women, to, uh, especially this text, to look at this text and go, come on, Paul. Like, is that all you got for the men? He's about to go down a laundry list for the women, and this is it for the men? Like, is that all that Paul gives to the men? Listen, what Paul may lack in quantity, he certainly does not lack in quality for what he has just laid. And here's what I mean by that. Paul might not say as much in comparison to the ladies as far as word count. That is absolutely true. But what Paul here is setting before the men is massive. How are we doing, men? How are we doing? How are we doing? In our church, in our gatherings, are you the men of prayer? Are you leading out our congregation in prayer? You leading out. Are you men who are defined by prayer? If a first-time visitor were to plop down in here, would it be very clear that the men 
are leading this church out in prayer. Would that be clear? Would it be evident? Um, listen, I, I want to, just as a pastor, I want to commend you, men, because I am so grateful to see so many men of prayer in our congregation. I am so grateful. I am so grateful to see men who are leading our church in prayer. Are we perfect? No, you're not. We fail at this at times. But by the grace of God, God has brought so many men into our congregation who are, in fact, leaders of prayer. So if that's you, men, I want to commend you. I want to encourage you to continue. And I want to remind you of how much this church needs you. If you're hearing all this and you're thinking, that's not me. If you're hearing this and thinking that, I don't know if anyone has ever called me a man of prayer. I want to call you to this text and I want to encourage you to take this to heart. And I want to remind you of what God is calling you to this morning. Before we give in to anger and debate and quarreling and all that controversy stuff, God is calling you first to this, to prayer, to be men of prayer. I desire that in every place that the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. The question is, men, will we listen? Will we repent where needed and will we obey this word? This is Paul's first desire in this text. So guys, we started with you. How are we doing? We'll come back to you, but I want to shift now into the second desire, and I want to move now from the men to the ladies. Verse 9. Here's what we read. Likewise. Likewise is a connecting word, connects us back to the word desire, meaning Paul says, I desire for the men, and likewise, here is my desire for the women. That's how that should be Read. And he says, likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. Not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Okay, just like with the men, I think this can be easily overcomplicated and we can easily miss the forest for the trees. Um, and so Paul gives, I'm just trying to bring this together. Paul gives us here two desires in this portion of text to our ladies. First desires, he says, I desire that women adorn themselves in respectable apparel, clothing. Talking about your clothes, okay? And then number two, Paul says, I desire that women adorn themselves not only with clothing, but with good works. You see that at the end. So let's take the first one. Let's, let's talk about the clothes first, Okay. Um, he defines respectable clothing with two positives and three negatives. The positives. Modesty, number one. Self-control, number two. Let's hit the negatives. Braided hair and gold, number one. Pearls, number two. Costly attire, number three. What is going on here? I want to try to boil all of this down into two things. Paul's desire is that women 
would be respectful and modest, not sensual or showy. So I'm going to boil all of this down. So easy enough? You with me? At least nod. Okay, some of you. So modest, not sensual, respectable, not showy. That's what Paul is, is laying out here. Now, before we get to a specific application from this, I want to bring something out here. Um, Paul is stepping into women's fashion right now. What do we do with this? Uh, first of all, you don't need to raise your hands. Ladies, how many of you own pearls? How many of you worn pearls before? What about the gold? I bet that'll give more, get more of us than the pearls. What about clothes that are expensive? How do you even define that, right? Costly, expensive clothes, any of you? Mm-hmm. How about braids? I'm sure some of you have braided hair. I'm not looking to see, now I am. I'm looking to see braids, okay, um, of braided hair. Okay, what do we do with a passage of scripture like this? Do we get rid of the pearls and the gold and we let down the braids and shop at thrift stores? Or do we run this way and read this and think, ah, that's cultural, just take it all, control all, or control A, delete. That's a Mac reference. If you're a PC user, you won't get that. Anyway, um, do we throw it all away, let down our braids, or do we just highlight it all, just ignore that? That's cultural. Um, Listen, I think we need to understand two important things as we seek to understand this word to us, and this applies to other texts like this one throughout God's word. There are more than this. Um, first of all, gold, pearls, braids, costly things. Hear me. They are not intrinsically evil. Okay? You don't have to think long to, to kind of get what I'm saying here because heaven is full of pearls and gold. Read the Old Testament. And read about God's requirement of his temple and his priests and how ornate and costly and golden and all kinds. I mean, there are chapters dedicated to how ornate their clothing needed to to be. So these things in and of themselves are not evil things. Here's the thing. The evil lies in our hearts. The evil lies in the abuse and misuse of these things. So here's the question. I asked earlier how many girls had, you know, pearls or gold. I want to ask you, is it wrong for you to wear pearls or gold? Don't answer out loud. Just think about it. Is that wrong? Listen, I think scripturally, our answer has to be emphatically maybe. (laughs) Has to be. And here's why. Because because the, the gold and the pearls, they're not evil in and of themselves. The question is, how's your heart? How is your heart? Are you wearing these things sensually or showy? Then yes, it is wrong. Okay? It's wrong. How is your heart? I, I want to bring another text in to bear on this one because I think it is so beautiful and clear. Um, so we just read... Paul's words to the church, ancient church. Let's read Peter's, okay? 
they say the same thing, except Peter elaborates. So I like to use this one in connection. Do not let your adorning, he's talking to women, by the way, if you were to expand, women of the church. Do not let your adorning, same word, be external. The braiding of hair, there it is again. The putting on of gold jewelry, there it is. What you're, the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I love this because if you take Paul and Peter and you see, you see God's plan, and the question is, how's your heart? What is your motive? God cares, ladies, about your heart more than what you put on. A lot of times they're connected, though. That's the first thing about this. I want to bring out one more thing, though, and I want to talk about culture, and I want to ask a really difficult question. Let me ask you these kind of commands when you, when you read about, like, braids and pearls. Are these commands fixed, or do they move and shift with culture? In other words, is women's fashion is deeply cultural, so are these scriptures about women's fashion simply cultural? Um, I wanted to show you this, and I want to show you the way I've tried to approach this, and, and hopefully it's helpful. If it's not, just smile um, and not. So um, we have God's word, and we have culture. So this circle represents God's word. Now, in this, these are the things we know in Scripture. These are like our text. So we would just take it, modesty. That's one that we know is in the blue. We know. Not showy, godly. Like we, 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 we have the things that the Bible puts in, in our hands. We have all of that represented in blue. So as the church, we who follow Jesus, we're people of the word. We want to be where God's word is. We want the word of God to shape us, to lead us, to be the light to our path. We want to listen. We want to obey it. That's that circle. And if it all ended here, it would be a lot easier. But something happens to each and every one of us, and that is the fact that you and I get plopped down into a culture, into a community. This circle represents what I will call cultural norms, the things that our culture says are normal and good and healthy or wrong or whatever the culture is expecting. These are the cultural values, and in that red circle are the things that the culture sees as, to use the language of our text, respectable, proper. Now, as you can see, praise God. Uh, well, first of all, let me deal with this one. As you can see first, there are things that the culture would say is normal that fall outside of the word of God. So what do we do as people of the word? We cling to what scripture says. Um, that's that dark red area over there. Um, but here's the other thing. As you can see from this diagram, there's also a space in between. Paul is dealing with fashion in this text, and so I'll use some ridiculous fashion examples to see this, but let's say the culture tells us that it is completely expected and appropriate to wear highly provocative clothing. This is an easy one. 
What we've seen in our text today is that this would violate Scripture's command to modesty. So, as followers of Christ, we don't go to the dark red, right? We can't abide by that. We can't abide by that normal. Let me give you another even more ridiculous example. Um, I tried to pick ridiculous ones to not step on toes at first, because I'm going to be doing that enough. Um, Follow me here, though. Let's say that the cultural norm is that you wear blue shoes. I told you it was ridiculous. But let's just say that's normal. You wear blue shoes. Blue shoes are what's expected of you in this culture. Guess what? There is nothing in Scripture that prohibits blue shoes. Nothing. So if your heart is pure, your motive is clean as followers of Jesus, guess what? When you get plopped into a culture that wears blue shoes, you can wear blue shoes. This may sound super simplistic, and I'm trying for it to be, because when it gets complicated later, if we can remember this, things make sense. Let me use a less ridiculous example. If you were to make a mission trip, ladies, you're about to make a mission trip to the Middle East. There's going to be a lot of cultural norms that are about to be put on your shoulders that are different from this community. Let's say that you're, you are in a mission uh, community where, where women are expected to wear head coverings, and the cultural norm is that you cover your head as a show of modesty. That's the culture. That's the norm. What do you do? Well, the Bible doesn't prohibit you from covering your head. In fact, the Bible explicitly calls you to modesty. So as you go on that mission trip, as we look at these circles again, for the purpose of the gospel, you adorn yourself in what is respectable. With modesty and with self-control, go to the, the verbiage of our text, you adorn yourself in what is proper. That's a cultural term. What is proper for women who profess godliness. In other words, let's just cut to it. You put the head covering on so you can reach them with the good news of Jesus. The reason I show this, I don't want you to hear me say anything in contrary to this. Cultural norms never trump the word of God. We talked about this is our authority. Everything else comes under this. But here's the thing. At the same time, Scripture calls us to engage a culture with the gospel. So what that means is often we're called to kind of live in that middle area, if that makes sense. In certain cultures, I think more is shared in common and other cultures less is shared in common. It doesn't matter, the same principles. We don't go against God's word, but we seek to engage the culture in a way that is proper and respectable. And I think these come together. And, and, and what, I, what I love is we're bringing all of this together is Paul is pointing us to the heart and to the culture. Heart and culture. To the heart, he's calling you to check your heart. What's your motives? Are you adorning yourself in a way that is sensual or is showy? No matter what you're wearing, listen, if that's your heart, if your heart is look at me, if that is your heart, ladies, it's time to repent. It's time to repent and to focus your heart on modesty and what is respectable. In other words, it's less about the pearls and much more about the heart of the one wearing the pearls. And what culture 
the one wearing the pearls finds herself in. This is about the heart. Second, he's calling us to consider the culture, the culture we're engaging with the gospel. Are you wearing what is respectable, what is proper for a woman professing godliness? In other words, are you harming your gospel witness simply because of your clothing choice? Is it worth it? If so, Paul says, I desire, ladies, that you wear what is respectful and proper. Don't harm the gospel witness that you have as a daughter of God. Quick pause here. Um, I told you I'm not done with you, men. Um, I know we're talking to ladies here. But men, please, this is not to give you a way to justify your own sin or your own lust. I want to be very clear up front about this. Men, do not justify, like, don't say, you know, ever try to justify your sin or lust by saying, well, the way she was dressed made me do it. No, your wicked heart made you do it. Don't ever justify your sin and put that weight on the ladies in your life. Jesus is very clear about our eyes and our hearts. Don't, don't, guys, we need to repent where is needed, and we need to be men of prayer, praying for our sisters in Christ, not blaming them for our own sin. Praying for them as they walk in godliness. Okay, unpause. Back to women. Uh, back to ladies. So here's the question that this text is calling you to ask and to, to answer. One, how is your heart? Ladies, how is your heart? How are your motives? Number two, are you harming your gospel witness by offending the culture that you've been placed in because of fashion? Never thought I would be asking these questions, but God's word is calling us to ask these questions. Because look at Paul's desire for you again. He's calling you to be respectable. He's calling you to, to modesty, self-control, to what is proper. And then from there, he's going to give you his second desire for you, and it's going to go beyond your clothes, okay? Not only what you're wearing, but second, he points out good works. He says, I desire that you adorn yourself with good works, Paul's desire for you, ladies, is to literally put on good works. For the glory of God, for the sake of the gospel, we put on good works. If you just think about this, think about how beautiful this is. Um, Paul says his, this is his desire for you in the church, not only to look respectable and modest on the outside by what you wear, what you put on, but also be about doing the will of God, doing what is good, doing good works. And to be clear, I want to be very clear here. Um, according to Scripture, you are not saved by your good works. That's not what this is saying. You can't be saved by your good works. We've already talked about that, sang about that this morning. Scripture says your righteousness is like a filthy rag. And I'm not even going to get into the grossness of that word filthy rag. That's your best attempts. That's your righteousness. Your good works do not, they cannot save you. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
This is not a result of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. You are not saved by your works. You are saved by grace through faith. You are saved because the completed work of Jesus. And then from that place, I love the next verse. Following this verse, this is verse 8, 9. Let's go to 10. For we, that includes you ladies, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you, that we should walk in them. You are not saved by your good works, church. You are saved to your good works. Paul here is, is saying specifically to the ladies in this church, adorn yourself, not in what is showy or what is sensual, but what is modest and in self-control and respectable, and adorn yourself with good works. Proclaim the gospel, represent the gospel by walking in the good works that God has planned for you to walk in. Um, so ladies, Paul's already asked you the question, how's your heart? Now what Paul is asking, how are your hands? Are you living out your faith with good works? And so I want to bring this together, and I want to just see the simplicity of this as we bring it all together. I want to start again with the men. Let me ask you again. Men, are you men of prayer? Are you leading out in prayer? Not in anger, controversy, debates, quarreling. That's what the false teachers are doing, but not you men. Instead, are you men of prayer? prayer? Are you leading out our church in prayer, whether it be here on a Sunday, whether it be during the week, in a home, in a community group, wherever, in every place, men, are you men of prayer? It's God's desire for you in our church. And ladies, how is your heart and how are your hands? Are you adorning yourself in a way that aligns with the heart of Christ? Modest, not showy. Listen, if you're adorning yourself in a way that says, look at me, we've missed it. Our hearts should instead desire to represent Christ well so that in us they may see him. I think our hearts often love to steal attention. That's not ours. That's what, that's what Paul's pointing to how is your heart and how are your hands are you adorning yourself with the good works that god has prepared for you as his daughters the good works he prepared beforehand for you to walk in how's your heart how are your hands okay as we close this morning i want to remind you of where we started we're going to pick up here next week we believe we hold to what scripture teaches the sanctity of all human life, both male and female, as the image bearers of God, equal in worth, in value, and in dignity. We believe that in the glorious and good plan of God that he created men and women distinctly and complementary to each other in order to bring him glory and to promote human flourishing in both the church and in the home. And as we've seen already in this text, there is a beauty to God's plan and his design as both men and women come together in the church to grow together in Christ. So we're going to pause here today. Um, next week, we're going to walk through the second part of this text. We're going to deal specifically, look specifically at teaching and authority. But for now, we have given so much to chew on.